I think the thing that I'm taking away is the Freud and Fruta section of protecting other people's flames and helping them grow their flame and keep their flame. Because, I mean, even if you have the biggest and brightest flame, at times there's going to be things that start to damper that for you. So how can we help guide that flame and make it bigger for you? Conversations, the podcast. I'm Carmen Deisler, along with Katie Perez, and we're so excited that Megan Yoder is here with us today. Today, we're in our second week of the series over Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart, and we're going to dig into chapters two and three, which is places we go when we compare and places we go when things don't go as planned. And so let's start off just with Megan. Would you mind just introducing yourself? Because a lot of people may have not met you yet. Megan is our newest member of the resilience team. Megan, I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah. So I'm so excited to be here. This is so cool. I'm the Reno County Learning Center director is my primary job. So I get to help people complete their high school diplomas. And it's so amazing and so much fun. And then I get to work on the resilience team with trauma-informed yoga and as a mindfulness coach. Awesome. We're so glad that you're with us, Megan. So exciting. So we're going to start off with our check-in, you know, the the check-in that we love to do so much. Are you mad, sad, glad, or afraid? And what's that mostly about? Megan, do you mind starting us off with that? Sure. So I'm glad. I'm There's so much glad. I'm glad to be here. Um, it was a good day in the Learning Center today. Uh, we've got some kids who are completing some credits and we've got some fun projects planned and some ideas coming up that I'm super pumped about. A um, little bit of sad going on. My you know, my aunt is actively passing from cancer and it's just getting closer. So got a little bit of that going on. Yeah, I'd say mainly glad and sad. Thanks, Megan. Let's see. I think I'm checking in right now as glad. Last night I got to work with the the can the Kansas Teacher of the Year Region One leadership team. That's like a mouthful to say it all out loud. And it was just so much fun to like just celebrate, like just we're just brainstorming. How can we celebrate teachers? And that's one of my favorite things to do is to be able to do that. And so that was just a lot of fun to have that conversation with teachers from all over the place last night. And then I was also mad too, because my dog during that conversation, like when I was on the zoom call, when I walked out, my dog had found a toilet paper roll and yeah, you can only imagine it was all over the house. I saw your picture on Facebook. It was amazing. (laughs) Yes. So there's glad and maybe a little, I might still be a little mad about that right now, actually, as I'm, as I'm sharing. So that's my second for today. I'm going to have to make you a new meme because we went from OME to OSAMers. So I'll have to work on that. I am 
You know, right now in the moment, I feel a little afraid. I think because I read these two chapters that we are going to talk about today quite a while ago. And so I just went and kind of refreshed my memory. And so I'm a little afraid. I'm a little afraid that I won't sound smart in this podcast today. And that means a lot to me. That's silly. Hmm. It's going to be funny when we get into the uh, conversation, I guess, now that I'm unpacking that. And I'm also sad because I'm really hungry. And that's so silly, but I'm really hungry right now and I'm looking at the clock and thinking about the things I have left to do and food seems really far away. (laughs) So um, I'm a little sad. With this book series on conversation, we're really looking at this book in terms of just how Brene talks about it in terms of biology, biography, behaviors, and backstory. And so we want to just start off, you know, right in chapter two, places we go when we compare. And inside this chapter, we're talking about comparison and admiration and reverence and envy and, you know, the list goes on. And let's just start right off the bat on page 20 with the definition of comparison. And so it says here, comparison is the crush of conformity from one side and competition from the other. It's trying to simultaneously fit in and stand out. And then she adds, comparison says, be like everyone else, but better. Oh, man. (laughs) That was hard to read. Yeah, I love the sentence before she gives the definition as well. Comparison is a creativity killer, among other things. And I just think, you know, for me, the idea that comparison is the thief of joy has always been kind of a thing Mm -hmm. for for myself as well. But all of that together. Yeah, Carmen, it's like, ouch. Yeah, I just had never really, I don't know, putting both of that, the idea of conformity and the competition like together Uh in that definition. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. I love that she uses a lot of swimming references. So I was a competitive swimmer for a long time. And so when she talks about swimming in the lane next to someone else and trying to race that person, no matter who they are or what kind of shape they're in, I'm like, I relate to that because I am that person. I am that person. I am going to swim faster than you. At the grocery store, I'm going to walk faster than you. And just, (laughs) (laughs) I'm literally like racing the old lady. Like, I win. Oh my God, that really tickled me. (laughs) Glad I can make you laugh, Katie. So yeah, I'm glad that someone's finally addressing that comparison creates this competition and it's not necessary competition. Like racing the faster swimmer next to me is not beneficial. I get injured like Brene talked about. You're going to injure yourself trying to compete with someone. Yeah. And so then it becomes kind of that comparison within yourself too. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how can I be better? I don't know. I I had a lot of thoughts. I'm really struggling right now with the comparison of a past self. Mm, And so who was I in 2020 (laughs) compared to who I am now in 2022? And they're, they're two different people with two different sets of abilities and limitations. And so... It's kind of interesting like to think of it from that perspective. Right now, I'm not experiencing a lot of comparison to others in my own life, but just of, you know, I mean, a younger self even. Yes. Not necessarily because of experiences over the past two years, but experiences and then trying to get back to who I was when I'm not, I'm, I'm not in 30 anymore. It's harder to do things when you get to that four number in front of your age and when those numbers are crimping down on you it's like this comparison to be I don't know I don't know if that makes any sense but Mm -hmm, it just it's 
it's something that is present, I think, in my life more than I want to admit it. Well, I think, you know, I'm I'm going to turn 50 here in a couple of years. And so I think there is something that's always kind of at the back of my mind of where should I mm -hmm. be or what, you know, and I'm just really like, <laughs> let's just let that go. You know, like it it's not serving me in any way. I am I am good and I'm fine right where I'm at. Yeah. But I, I do think some of that just stems back. If we think about like going back to the backstory, like you have in your, like goes back to a long time ago when you, you know, you have those ideas or those dreams or those things that you think you should. Mm. Yeah. You know, Carmen, that what you're saying right now, I'm kind of having a moment about this idea of comparison for like myself for a past self. And then where should I be? And it's actually making me jump all the way to page 54. So this idea that, so I went to, I had a doctor's appointment yesterday, okay? I promise this won't be TMI, folks. But I went to the doctor yesterday and there was like an assistant or a student or somebody who came in with my doctor to whatever. And I was talking about how frustrated I am that there are certain things I just can't do anymore. And the doctor actually said, yeah, I was telling so-and-so as we came in the room, as we were looking at your chart, I was telling her like, this is CrossFit mom. Like Katie has been a lifter for a long time. And, and then they come in the room and they see me <laughs> and I'm no longer Katie CrossFit mom. And so if I look down this list on 54, she talks about going from dis disappointed to regretful, to discouraged, resigned, to frustrated. And man, I really am still, I, I think I'm at the resigned level when it comes to something like my physical health. You know, if I look back, it's not, it's not so much disappointment, regret, or discouraged. I'm not losing my confidence anymore. I am, I have lost my confidence and my enthusiasm about any future effort. And I've lost the motivation and confidence to persist. Mm. And reading that statement and thinking about the statement that was made yesterday, that's, man, that's hard. Like I'm going to have to sit, I'm going to have to sit with that for a little while to kind of identify what do I do now? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, if I, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm approaching 40, I'm not 40 yet, but I'm approaching it. And there's something magical about those decades, right? Like they don't mean anything, mm -hmm. but there's something magical about it. And so that in my mind, if I reach 40 and I haven't started to reclaim my health, it's never going to happen. So how do I backtrack on that little progression scale here to at least get back to like disappointed, like, eh, didn't work out. Or what's that motivation factor yeah. for you? What's going to yeah. get you there? Yeah, now I'm more curious about like how many other places in my life am I resigned? <laughs> like, oh, Brene, I, I hate am, you. <laughs> I am resigned with cleaning my house. <laughs> anyway, that was just a moment, like just kind of connecting those two chapters together in a way that I hadn't done before. Oh, let's move on from that. <laughs> what about, I mean, how about the idea of comparison, though, in our classrooms? Yeah, yeah. Um, how are we, how do we see that? Uh, how are we helping? How are we helping with that in either a positive or not so positive way? Well, I think you have to look at comparison for a couple of different levels, right? So, I mean, is it me comparing student to student? Years of kids, that's a huge one right now, is comparing the year of kids that you have in your classroom sitting right in front of you to who you had three years ago 
as a fourth grader, fifth grader sitting in your classroom. You know, we can go with that whole thing about our current fourth graders haven't had a normal year since first grade. And so comparing year to year is something that's happening right now. Comparing how you're handling the stress compared to the teacher down the hallway is another really big one. And I think comparing communities too is really big right now that some schools are getting hit harder with things. And so we want to be better than the school district next door and how they're handling the stresses we're under, the learning loss, the blah, blah, blah. So yeah, what do we, how do we want to help tackle that? Well, and I, I, I wonder if it kind of plays in the idea, the resentment piece plays Mm -hmm. into it as well. Like, you know, her quote, you know, while resentment is definitely an emotion, I normally recognize it by a familiar thought pattern. What meaning critical thing am I rehearsing saying to this person? I mean, it, I mean in, in a lot of ways, it kind of is. I think about that and I think about the power of the pause that we talk about so often mm-hmm. in the resilience work. You know, if I, the react versus responding, right. I think that this falls right into play with that. And in the classroom and with my colleagues as well, like how, how can I, how can I respond instead of react? How can I pause <laughs> not be what meaning critical thing am I rehearsing saying to this person? How can I pause on that? <laughs> right. And and just that take that moment to think, you know, is this going to oh yes, I said this in the last podcast, but is it going to serve or steal in this moment? Yes. And that's yeah, yeah. Being able to take some space beforehand is so critical and so hard. Man. There's so many things here. I don't really know where I want to jump to. Next. I know I have so many posting notes and tabs and comments. And <laughs> I love how she mentions that resentment is part of envy. Mm-hmm. And when I reflect back on so many things, I think back and I go, oh my gosh, I was so angry about a thing. And really, I was just envious of what that other person had. And that's what I wanted. Yeah. And that that was uh she talks about that with Mark Brackett on mm-hmm. her podcast. Mm-hmm. I have it here somewhere. Permission, permission to feel. That's a, I mean, that is a really fantastic book to read as an educator and as a parent, I would assume I'm assuming on that part. Oh, yeah, but I would say yes. To talk kids about feelings. I thought I just listened to a really great podcast. Uh, it wasn't really a podcast. It's an Audible original and it's a lecture series on the teenage brain. And I wish right now I had my phone or something because I'd be able to actually tell you who it was and what the title is, but I can't do that. But the, this idea, what she's talking about is really about the adolescent brain and how it works. And there's a whole section in there that really talks about this definition of jealousy. And I love Brene's definition of jealousy here is when we fear losing a relationship or a valued part of a relationship that we already have and how influential that is in those middle grade years for relationships with kids. And that it's important that we do a better job 
as teachers and as parents of talking to our kiddos about jealousy. Because if you think about, I don't know about you, but if I think about any triad of girls I've ever been a friend with, (laughs) (laughs) jealousy has come into play so much and never really understanding kind of what was happening for myself in those moments, never understanding what was happening for the other girls and that it's a normal part of female I can't speak to being a male but it's a normal part of a female relationship and how can we again honor that that's happening and then talk to girls and talk to our students talk to each other about wow what are you really afraid of here I'm afraid that they're not going to be my friend anymore I'm afraid that they're going to leave me out I mean, whatever it is ah, it makes a lot of sense to feel that way and so what do we do okay what about, okay I don't know how to pronounce these, these mm-hmm. <laughs> she tells but- you how to pronounce the first one <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Schadenfreude. Freude. Yeah. Schadenfreude. So my mother-in-law actually speaks German. And so I asked her, I was like, hey, what's this? <laughs> and it's uh, Schadenfreude. Okay. Schadenfreude. Mm-hmm. And this was big. Um, the pleasure or joy derived from someone else's suffering or misfortune. Okay. Did you not immediately think of the definition of cruelty? That Of we course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A blatant disregard for. Yeah. Blatant disregard. Yeah. Yeah. That one. And then also, you know, the poll quote that comes out on page 34 too, like nothing that celebrates the humiliation or pain of another person builds lasting connection. I mean, you would think that we knew that, like that we. (laughs) Right. And yet there's so much, I, there's human nature in some of this too, right? I mean, there's got to be some kind of biological drive to want your group to perform better than others. And to, I think about, I think about college basketball here, to be honest, or any big sports game. College basketball is the only sport I watch, but all the rest of them are just, you know, whatever my husband's watching on TV. But I have this thing where if it's a big game, I cannot stand to watch the other team lose. Because it just breaks my heart. So in the room right now, you have a couple of opposing views on Kansas sports. And so I am through and through a Jayhawk, Rock Chalk forever. It is, it, I, I, I bleed crimson and blue. And then I've got this, you know, weirdo K-Stater sitting next to me. And <laughs> hey now. And recently there was a game. Yes. And the whole time I was just, you know, cheering on my Jayhawks and really wanting them to win at the expense of the Wildcats. But then when the Wildcats lost, I was really sad. (laughs) So was I. (laughs) For different reasons. But that idea of people, I don't know, it always has bothered me in sports when you get so wound up in your team winning that you forget that somebody else just lost something Mm -hmm. really big. And I'm curious, how many other places in life do we do that kind of thing? Right. I mean, sports is just kind of one of those generic analogies we can use for pretty much anything in life. But that's always been something for me. Just I will cry even if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, whoever they lose to, I'll be sad for. And other people are deriving joy from that experience. Where else do we do that? And how if, if we do it so big in the sports world, how commonplace and we don't even see it is it in the rest of our world? Katie, that's I mean, wow, that's brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it also makes me wonder, like, what is so deep rooted 
in our brain, in our being, that we want to celebrate someone else's pain or humiliation. Like, why do we, why are we happy about it sometimes? And it sounds really horrible when we say it out loud. Yeah, it does. Like, I just, and I can't even, at the moment, I can't even think of an example to give, but we all know we've done it. You hear something happening to someone and you're like, good, they deserve to be fired. Why am I celebrating that, you know? Someone being fired or written up or their marriage ending or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. It's awful. Well, and I like that she talks about how we don't we don't talk about it because we it brings shame and guilt, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's real easy for me to use an innocuous thing like sports ball <laughs> to <laughs> to make the example. But if I start talking about politics, mm-hmm. then I feel shameful. Or gosh, somebody's marriage ending, then I feel shameful. I, I'm, I will say I've, I, I'm sure I've had those thoughts, right? And so the idea that Balancing that, though, with the second one. So, Megan, tell us how to pronounce the second word, because I know you asked your mother-in-law. So, Freud and Fruta. Freud and Fruta. Mm-hmm. Freud and Fruta. Sounds like um, a married couple. Ah, it's just Freud and Fruta. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The enjoyment of another's success. <laughs> Wish you could have seen Carmen's face just now, everybody. <laughs> She's radiating joy. <laughs> I just I don't think there's anything better than celebrating people. And I just I I just love this so much. And I, you know, the example that they that Brene talks about in here is, you know, Abby Wambach and mm-hmm. international well, a, a soccer player, retired soccer player now, but just about the idea of, you know, she gets a goal, but then she's immediately celebrating. The people right along her side, you know, the mm-hmm. coach who made the play, the person who assisted that to me just builds. I mean, that's community building, right? Mm-hmm. And connection building. And in here, she, Brene talks about how it's almost a subset of empathy building as well of empathy when we're able to celebrate, to, to connect with others in that way. She has this great quote down here. If this is your flame and the wind picks up, good friends cup their hands around your flame to prevent it from going out and you do the same for them. And then she mentions no flame blower outers. <laughs> I thought that was just amazing. All right. Well, should we head over to chapter, chapter three? three? It doesn't go when things don't go as planned. Um, at one thing, Katie, you and I talked about this before, but just how just how this book is organized is just really fascinating as well. You know, just the idea, not really thinking about, oh, gosh, when things don't go as planned, there's <laughs> <laughs> regrets. Yeah. Well, and I love that they kind of build on each other. Like when I, because I've been reading the chapters kind of in isolation. And so then just now being able to make that connection to two and three. Like, I'm curious, because I'll be honest, y'all, I haven't read beyond chapter four, because I had a lot of time and then I had none. So I don't know what comes next. (laughs) But I'm curious now in the structure of the book, like how many more ah ahas and oh crap moments am I going to have? I'm excited and not. I'm excited and anxious. If you haven't listened to episode one, go back and find out what that means. (laughs) I, I really love, though, the description of boredom here, because, I mean, as a as a parent, and as a teacher, the words I'm bored <laughs> are something that, it, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard I'm bored, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast today. But I love that sentence there of boredom is your imagination calling you. 
And I'm thinking, you know, right now I have a lot of time to sit in my car and do nothing because <laughs> I don't know, play practice and I'm too lazy to drive all the way home. And it's boring to sit in my car in the dark and not really have anything to do. But I've come up with a lot of really cool things in that time. Like our team is venturing into the world of TikTok. And I know for a fact that Mr. Glenn, who's our audio dude over here, was sitting across from me, picking up his own daughter from play practice. And I'm sure he watched me do the same TikTok 18 times yesterday in the car. <laughs> he says no. But <laughs> I, was <laughs> I was bored and I had an idea, right? And so I, I struggle with that sometimes, that creative time. I don't get it all the time because I don't really ever allow myself to just be. Yeah. So I literally feel like Brene Brown is calling me out on this because earlier at the beginning of this year, Carmen led us through this beautiful journaling reflection activity. And so in it, one of her prompts was, what are you leaving behind mm -hmm. in 2022? And so I had said less mindless scrolling on my phone. Like I just out of boredom will pull out my phone just to waste time and why am I doing that? And so now that has been one of my goals is, you know, less screen time. And so when I read this part about boredom and it's your imagination calling out to you, I have now purposefully, whenever I feel like I need to pull my phone out, I go and do something creative. Even if it's just like a quick sketch of something or I go read a book or go into imaginative play with my daughter, like Bella, hey, you're a princess and I'm a dragon and you're trying to climb this hill and I'm trying to get you. Like I just, <laughs> and it has been so much fun. And I got the update on Sunday that my screen time was down 16% from last week. So yay, it's yay. working. So Carmen, thank you for that journal prompt. And then thank you, Brene Brown, for putting this in your book and literally calling me out on it. <laughs> so... I, when I think about boredom, though, I think about our school schedules mm -hmm. and how they yeah. are. Yeah. every minute is planned out. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But, you know, I think about where is that create where is the place for creativity? You know, and I, I we used to have free choice Fridays in my fourth grade classroom and there was, we didn't use electronics during that time. That wasn't an option, much to the frustration of a few kiddos, but, <laughs> um, but it was really fascinating. Like what, as we kept, as we started, as we kept doing free choice Fridays, maybe I would bring in some different things, you know, each week or, but just the, the creativity that came out of those kids, you know, we had these really cool blocks that you could build things. And so they build like a dog house for my dog. There was like, you know, these are fourth graders cup, you know, a bakery out of Play-Doh, um, you know, uh, just all kinds of different stuff just by giving the opportunity, but schedule is hard. Schedule mm -hmm. is hard in the requirements that we have placed on getting, you know, getting, standards, all of the, all of the things. Yeah. And I so think in a, in a class, is that really about just the opportunity for voice and choice? 
right? I mean, is that small, small ways? I mean, I think Megan, what you're able to do with kids in the learning center is, is great. You had a kiddo recently who, not a kiddo, you had an adult, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) the interior design class. And she was like, this doesn't make sense. I don't, it was boring. Mm -hmm. And so that's exactly what she did was step into creativity. And she, I was able to be in there that day and she had made a a scale model of her perfect bedroom, right? Is that what it was? And so the idea here, you know, she said that boredom is the uncomfortable state of wanting to engage in satisfying activity, but being unable to do it. Wow. Like that does describe school in a lot of ways. I'm thinking (laughs) there's a company that we we have a partnership with and they had some t-shirts and it said, I can't wait to sit in my chair for eight hours a day, said no kid ever. And then I gave it to my daughter and she's like, yes. And I said, you can't wear it to school. (laughs) And she said, why? And I said, well, I mean, think about it. But right, how much that paragraph goes on. When we're bored and we experience a lack of stimulation, time seems to pass very slowly. And if we're working on tasks, they seem to lack challenge and meaning. How much of our day for our kiddos is spent in that space? And it could just be bolstered with just a little bit of choice in voice. Which book Mm -hmm. do you want to read? Does our daily schedule have to have math at this time and reading at this time? Or are there times where we can choose which one I want to do right now? I mean, little pieces that we start bringing in would increase the amount of stimulation for our kiddos throughout the day. And then it creates some excitement and they want to come back. Right. They can't wait to get back in your classroom to see what you're going to do next or what their next choice is. Increases engagement. Wouldn't that be magical? Mm -hmm. It's so possible, too. I think project-based learning, it's that's a huge opportunity. And in ELA, just those choices that our kids get to make throughout the day on uh, switching to competencies, right? Where we're not, we're changing the pace, place, and path. I mean, we could go down a whole thing here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I could... I could build I could build an entire school redesign project based on that one page in the book. Let's talk about disappointment and regret. Okay. So disappointment, <laughs> I, I think we just have to read that whole quote. Disappointment is unmet expectations. The more significant the expectations, the more significant the disappointment. Okay. So I'm struggling a little bit with this one. Okay. Tell me more. I'm trying to think of uh, like when you know, mad, sad, glad, and afraid. So what's the recipe unmet? What's the recipe for disappointment? Is it afraid and sad? Mm, I think it's sad and mad. Or Okay. Sad and mad. Why? Why do you think it's sad and mad? Okay. So this is such a stupid example. I, I pride myself on having very low expectations for most experiences in life. <laughs> and I don't know why, I guess, cause we never got to do things when I was a kid. But I went to Jamaica once and we got there and the people I was with, they were so disappointed in our accommodations. And what was interesting to me was I was just like, there's a beach, (laughs) it's big, (laughs) it's blue and there's stuff to do and there's, it's all inclusive so I can eat and drink all I want, right? But if I think back to what they were feeling, they they were sad that they had built up what this was going to look like and they were just unmet, right? Just, oh man, disappointed, I'm sad that this isn't to the level I thought. I think they were also mad that it was built up to be something it wasn't. And so, you know, that little bit of anger at like an outside source 
maybe mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. you told me it was going to be better than this. You lied to me. Disappointment includes a little bit of a lie, I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. And if I've been lied to, I'm mad. That's true. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work on afraid. Like, is there afraid? And I don't know that there's afraid in it for me. I think this recipe for me would be sad and mad. I'm curious if our recipes have to be the same. Oh, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think they are. Because I think that goes back to, I think that would go back to the biography. Right, right. Right? Because yeah. it's, it's how your family. Mm-hmm. Well, and if I go, if I go back to the biography piece here, these people had all traveled before and been to locations like this. And so they had this level of expectation for me. It was the first time I've never been to, I've been to an ocean before, but I'd never been to like a resort. So I was like, oh, it's a resort. Don't they all look like this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just excited to be here. <laughs> so yeah, their biography influenced their disappointment level. Yeah. And their backstory. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting way to look at it. So the quotes on, let's see, on page 51, you know, there are too many people in the world today who decide to live disappointed rather than risk feeling disappointed. <sighs> I feel like, wow, that's a big quote. I don't know why it's hitting me different now that you've read it out loud. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, Katie. I'm like trying to process that. I like this piece here. I used to think the best way to go through life was to expect the worst. That way, if it happened, you were prepared. Hello, Enneagram sixes. <laughs> <laughs> Carmen's raising her hand. I don't know that I identify with this. I think I play out a lot of what if moments in my head. And mm-hmm. could that be this? Like you're already preparing. You've got, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? Like um, my family and I are going to uh, Captiva, Florida this summer, and we're already playing out the fear of disappointment of, well, what if our flights get canceled? Because Mm -hmm. that's happening all around the world right now. So am I just mentally preparing myself to be hurt later? And is that how we want to live? Right. I don't like playing the what if game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love this next little line she has here is I don't like the vulnerability of leaning into good things. Well, right. I mean, is that it? I mean, that's, I mean, that's a big statement. That just gave me a chest pain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it goes again. What is your backstory, right? So I'm thinking about attachment here. And so if I am a securely attached person, I bet that I am more comfortable being vulnerable, leaning into those good things because I expect good things to happen. And then if I have those other different types of attachment style, if I have ambivalent, avoidant, or safe and dangerous, I my, my trust has been hurt so many times, my expectations have been let down so many times that it's protection. If I assume disappointment, I'm protecting myself from feeling anything else. I'd be so curious to know attachment wise yeah. how that plays out for people. Because I can see that, you know, somebody who thinks something like, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of good experiences. And so I better not get my hopes up because I'm just gonna get rejected anyway. It's just gonna fall through anyway. People are gonna let me down. That backstory is huge here, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think about students uh, in my classroom who might be hard to connect with. They they struggle to connect with others because they've been hurt so many times that mm-hmm. they just, they lean into disappointment. Yeah. Because that's what they're used to. Well, when I think about with kids too, you know, it, it, you ever have students who would say something like, well, I don't really care about going to the principal's office because I'll just get in trouble. But knowing that I disappointed you mm-hmm. is worse. And like, 
Yeah. You know, I mean, they couldn't handle that level of disapproval over a punishment that might be given out. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, there's some stuff in there too. To, I don't know. Can we do this? Can we do this one again? (laughs) (laughs) We are going to need to kind of close out here on this piece of conversation. So let's just end with what are you taking with you today? I think for me, I really want to dig in more to this in this area of disappointment, because I think it plays a really big role in connection in how we connect to people. And, and so that's the piece that I'm, I'm taking away with me. And how does disappointment and conflict play with each other? Yeah. It's all those kind of those restorative pieces that I keep, that keep going on in my head for these, both of these chapters, actually. I think the thing that I'm taking away is the Freud and Fruta section of protecting other people's flames and helping them grow their flame and keep their flame. Cause I mean, even if you have the biggest and brightest flame at times, there's going to be things that start to damper that for you. So how can we help guide that flame and make it bigger for you and educators that we serve people in our communities. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's the thing I'm taking away is let's, let's keep growing people's flame. Let's make it brighter or make it a different color. <laughs> Let's make it purple. Oh, I love you. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I, I, that idea of comparison to resentment to resignation is really big right now. And I'm thinking about that both personally, but then also within friendships I have with teachers right now that are hitting that spot, right? I mean, it, it, they are. Uh, we In the last episode, we talked about the difference between being in the weeds and being blown, right? And teachers are overwhelmed right now. They're blown. And so how many of them are sliding down into that resignation of, I've lost hope. And man, hope's my jam. So how do we stop comparing what life used to be like and not get into that space where we've lost hope for what we can do right now where we are? Thanks for that. Well, Megan and Katie, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. Next week, we'll be digging into the next two chapters. So it'll be chapters four and five. Is that right? Four and five. Four and five. Just so you know, on our ESDAC website, you can find classes, workshops that Megan is doing around mindfulness and de-escalation strategies and all kinds of stuff. So make sure you check out our ESDAC webpage and you can head over to the events page and then you'll see, you'll see Megan's sessions right there. So she has a few coming up. So we'd love to see you at ESDAC for those sessions. All right, Katie, you want to take us out? Yep. Thanks for joining us today on Resilience Conversations. We love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Have a great day.